uh, obviously you've you've been covering sport for a long time now. Um, what you've seen a lot of twists and turns throughout the seasons. This is going to be one of the one of the craziest yet. What would your uh, biggest you know surprise predictions be uh, for for the upcoming season? I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see if Mercedes are as slow as they say they are, if they're going to struggle as much as they say they are. Um, we've seen Lewis come out, obviously, and say they don't think they're going to be fighting for the wins, and at least they're not going to be doing it anytime soon. So it'd be really interesting to see if that is how um, it plays out come the first race of the season. Ferrari, it'd be interesting to see if they're back on, on form. Um, you know, they've been the ones to beat as uh, everyone's coming into this season and saying. So it'd be interesting to see if um, if they really have turned things around because obviously they had to turn things around from, from quite a poor year in 2020. Um, and I think it'll also be interesting to see what Red Bull can produce now. You know, we're all on a very new journey in this new era of, of Formula One. So it's exciting to be part of it because I think that... You know, much like last year when we, we weren't really sure what to expect between this battle between Lewis and, and Max, now we've almost gone, well, now we don't have a clue what to expect at all because the cars are completely different and the regulations are different. And so, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a really fascinating year. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Ferrari there. That was one of the things I wanted to actually talk about. It sort of feels like the stars are maybe aligning for, for something special. Um, and this season, do you think that they can be competing for the, I mean, at least the constructors? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, like, it's all really early days. We, we don't know the true race pace of these cars. Um, we can only do that through practice. And also, you know, practice, even though they were trying to follow a little bit, it's not the same as, as, a, as a race, you know, it's not the same simulation as, as what a race is. So it'll be really interesting to see how the Ferrari races against other cars when it's put under pressure by a Max Verstappen or a Lewis Hamilton or whatever it is. Um, because last time out, they just didn't have the power to, to keep themselves in the mix really. And they were fighting with McLaren. So yeah, I think it would be really interesting to see what steps that they've made forward to really, um, be part of the mix for, for the constructors and you know who knows for, for the drivers maybe maybe it's um it's what I said before it's you know you don't know everything's so unknown at the moment and it's it's really exciting to find out the next journey for them because they've worked incredibly hard I think to keep the morale up at at Ferrari Bonotto coming in there was some un, you know it was quite unstable for a while Ferrari they didn't have anybody that was sort of at the helm for long enough to to keep them afloat so I think you know, Bonotto coming in has, has really changed the shape um, and it helps that they've got a new car. So, yeah, I think they've got a, a very strong lineup and there's no reason why we won't see a Ferrari resurgence. Yeah, and one of those drivers is, of course, Charles Leclerc. There's a lot of hype around him this year. Um, you know, what is it? what is it that's so good about him? Well, Charles came in and was incredibly strong when he was at Sauber. I had to try and remember what name it was then. I'm pretty sure it was Sauber alongside Marcus Ericsson. And he was he was he was a, a young talent that had been incredibly strong in F2. And what we were all hoping that he could convert that into Formula One. Um, and it proved that he was incredibly strong in his first year in the junior team. And then he stepped up to 
in 2019 to, to Ferrari and had a great year. You know, he had a, had a brilliant year in 2019. He won in Italy in front of all the, the home fans. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a really exciting new journey for this quite relatively young driver showing, showing this pace. And then obviously we had 2020 and 2022, uh, 2021 rather. And, Ferrari fell off a cliff, basically, in, in terms of their pace, especially in 2020. So it, I think the hype comes from Charles being a very nice man. He's a lovely driver. I think that helps in, in terms of, you know, being a, a person that people can relate to. I think he is very relatable, even though he, you know, lived in Monaco for much of his life and he's lived an incredibly different life from most people, but he's he's a nice bloke with it. Um, and, I, and I think with... Charlotte, we were showed like potential and now we just need to unlock that and that's what I think is really exciting that we had that potential in 2019 to be an absolute superstar and I think people are excited to see that happen before you know before he gets too far in his career as we all know you know the further you get the harder it is to win championships unless you're Lewis Hamilton so yeah I think that's where that hype comes from that people want to see him do well. Yeah, definitely, and you know, you mentioned hype there. Uh, there has been a lot of hype around uh, Charles and and the full the full season ahead. Um, a lot of that has come from Drive to Survive. Obviously, the new season that is just out. Um, you know, it doesn't take a lot to uh, split the opinions of Formula One fans at the best of times. Uh, I think I think uh, Drive to Survive certainly does that. Um, with you know, it gets a lot of criticism for the, the over dramatization of certain events, but. You know, ultimately, it has brought in a lot of viewers. Um, what What are your opinions on it? Do you Do you think it is is good for the sport? I have never seen it. <laughs> no, I've never watched Drive to Survive. Um, however, I do have an opinion on it because everyone has an opinion on everything. I think it's um, I think it's it's obviously good for the sport. Like clearly, there's there's no question whether it's good for the sport it, it's brought in a whole new audience a whole younger audience a whole new desire to know who these drivers are and a whole a whole excited like you say like it, it, they've they've dramatized it yeah but like you you have to like that's how tv works you don't make a film about you know i don't know something dull and then not add like fabrication in like that's just that's just how it works that's just hollywood that's just how it how it is but I think the difference with something like Drive to Survive, it's it's um, the reason I think they're getting the backlash is almost because it's almost it's almost like they don't think the drivers are going to watch it and then go that didn't happen. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So it's really confusing. It's almost like they're they they are their own entity, but then they forget that actually when they're doing things like that, like you know the dramatization and stuff, it it backfires badly on them and it has already in terms of Max Verstappen he doesn't want to be part of it you know and Lando was speaking ahead of uh, the the race ahead of the race at Bahrain saying that he felt that the, the his relationship with Carlos had been massively was it Carlos or was it Danny Rick anyway one of them I think it was Danny Rick maybe what was it, Carlos? Oh, I don't know. I think it was, One of I them, he was, was talking uh, about, he said, you know... Sorry, not to cut in front of you, I think it was Ricardo, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Danny Rick. Um, but he was saying, you know, that was taken out of context and I didn't really enjoy that. And that's the thing, like, they have to, you know, still 
still be true to the storylines that are out there if they want the drivers involved. But yeah, you can't deny that it's been incredible and people have been absolutely engaging way more with the sport than they've ever engaged in. I mean, it helped that we had one of the most incredible seasons last year. You know, if they really want to stick with Formula One and watch it in a, you know, a very dull fight you know that that's different but it's definitely brought in a whole new element to, to f1 and i think it's really it has elevated the sport back to its sort of prestige um spot or prestigious I should say i can't argue with any of that um you know lastly not to uh, embarrass you but uh you know you you're freelancing now but you've you've uh, worked at a lot of huge broadcasters um you know, BBC, ITV, BT Sport, um, even covering stuff for Formula One themselves. Um, just, you know, I don't I don't really get to talk to people in your position every day. So just as a bit of uh, advice um, for, for people maybe trying to um, make their way into that sort of area and a wee bit of background about how, how you did it. Yeah, it's funny because the, the background stories are always a really interesting one for me because um, everyone's journey is completely different. I photography at university and um, came through the ranks in, in a bit of a different way. So I started working for a uh, radio station. Um, I started literally just, um, I went into a radio station and said, can I come in and, and look through your posts, sort your post out for you, make teas, you know, do that sort of thing. And just went in every single week on a, on a Wednesday. And eventually someone came up to me and they're like, why do you keep coming here? And I was like, well, I want to be on the radio. And they're like, well, shouldn't you then be on the radio trying out things? So then I, I sort of got taken under the wing by a friend of mine, um, now a good friend of mine, and, uh, you know, showed me the ropes there. And, and then I was lucky enough to um, work two seasons for Radio Silverstone and did some stuff with, with them, Alan Hyde and Gary Champion, lovely people. Um, so I worked with them. And then, yeah, and then, I, and then I got my job at the BBC, which for me was, was the best... Um, foundation level of very low level because you that's I didn't have any skills so came in as a as a BA which um is I mean they are the bread and butter of making a radio station work they are you know they're great um but I learned you know lots of stuff there and then I moved up as a broadcast journalist and then during that time I got um my chance to be on BBC Five Live um uh, in for Jenny Gow so I was in the pit lane in 2016 and then and then it just sort of it just sort of happens really um obviously networking is a really really important thing being nice to people is probably a really really good thing not enough people are nice out there but I think the networking side of thing is just really important like if you can even if you send 70 emails a day and one person gets back to you that one person is, is going to remember you I remember when I first started and I was emailing someone Tom Gaymore and, and I remember him being ever so like he was the most wonderful. He just responded back with a really, really nice message and was really, really encouraging. And now he's a good friend of mine, you know, and it's just like it is these I've worked with him since. And, you know, I saw him the other day when I was working for Eurosport and and he's, you know, he's an incredibly good person. So all about networking, all about talking to people, all about honing your skills, depending what you want to do. So like I would spend hours in the radio studio just mocking up like shows and just mocking just learning to talk on the microphone um and then yeah and then and your skills 
your skills will grow as it goes along and and you'll hopefully pick up more opportunities but um it's it, i think it's just really important at this point to say that everyone's journey is incredibly different so whatever i did is going to be very different from someone else's and it might not all happen when you first want it to i i remember my first years and just being so frustrated and then having like a bad year of freelance and then having a good year of freelance and then having an atrocious year of freelance like and then covid hit you know and it was all these different things that you have to battle with um, to try and get to your goal. Um, and I also think what really helped me is getting rid of my goal. I know that sounds like a really bizarre thing to say, but my goal was always like, I need to work for the BBC, pit lane reporter, five, like that. When obviously that, that job is currently, someone else is in the job and there's only one of those jobs, you you limit yourself in terms of what you then want to do and, and nothing then feels like it, it um, like it, it stacks up what to do, you know what I mean so if you can drop the I don't know if I'm making a full amount of sense but if you drop the the main goal that you see that is the be all and end all of whether you've made it or not we're um, really open to learning I say like I think I now write I now broadcast and now there's different things I do because I just sort of let go of that I have to be here and instead was like but there's lots of opportunities out there and everything leads to something else. So yeah, I haven't made all the right choices in my career, but I, I would never regret one thing I've ever done because it's wasted energy. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to wrap things up. I don't know how to do any better than that. <laughs> no worries. That's 